Conversations with Bob and Sherry is where the extrovert artist meets the introvert engineer. It's where analysis intersects experience. Join us as we explore news and culture to better understand what's true and important. Hi, Sherry. Hey, Bob. Do you feel that um, after I watched the video with this old man twerking and then many guys in new riding on bicycle going through this LGBTQ pride parades, to me, they're not doing a favor for the community because that just, I don't know how parents would bring their children to go see this. I mean, the kids that's waving the rainbow flag on the side of the road, they're not teenagers. They're not, they're little kids. They're like five, seven, eight-year-old kids. And to me, these people are displaying some sort of insanity and this is pornography to children. If you are a straight white man or straight men in general going out, exposing your body to a little kid, you would be arrested, right, for, ex for exposure, for potentially um, do harm to the children. And this is allowed in a public display mm -hmm. of parade. Um, I mean, that's not what the LGBT community is all about. That's I think if they're doing any favor for themselves, they should come out and condemning this type of behavior. Because it's cheapen the suffering, right? It's cheapen the suffering of um, what the LGBT community, I believe, what they're trying to do when you come out of the closet to be accepted by the society, that's not what is acceptable running around new in front of kids. I mean, they're just not acceptable within the gay, lesbian, trans community. There are, is a growing movement of people that says, this is not what we're about. I mean, pride was about a political protest, a social protest saying we deserve equal treatment. Specifically exactly. and most most prominently, they wanted same-sex marriage. So the critics within the community now are looking at what's happening and saying, being gay or lesbian or even trans is not all about sex. Pride has become this display of graphic, you know, sex, mm -hmm. and this is not we're, we're, this is not what we're about. And as a matter of fact, I I, I would actually question how much oppression there is of gay lesbian people trans maybe a little more so there is but it's on the increase now because when people see this guy twerking in front of children there are actually videos of fully naked guys and women in front of children dancing in front of them when they see this and when they see gender ideology talked about in their schools and some of this comprehensive, that makes parents angry. They say, this is wrong. We don't want our children exposed to this. No. So then when someone opposes a parent making a reasonable claim like that and says, you're homophobic, you're transphobic, and these people, by the way, happen to be trans, happen to be, well, you've just now created more tension between those groups. On one hand, they say the reason there's an increase is because parents are upset and expressing their opinion, and that's completely invalid because it's all rooted in homophobia. Well, if you look at what's happening and you think those parents have any valid point whatsoever, then the reason for the rise in tension is not those parents speaking out about the problem, but it's the opposition and how that opposition is totally marginalizing their opinion um, I mean, completely marginalizing their opinion by calling them, well, you're just phobic. You're a bigot. So everything you say is invalid, and we're going to completely ignore it. And by the way, we're going to go the extreme. I mean, there are groups, they have them on video walking down the street singing, we're coming for your children. We're coming for your children. Are they really coming for your children? Or are they doing that to mock the parents who say, leave our children alone? To have those videos out there is going to generate animosity towards those people. So... Well, that's the problem. Any fair journalist in, in the world, that's how they would report this. Where's the chicken and egg here? Who's to start with? Well, so, but in they always choose the 
conservative right side and blame them. The other side can say or do whatever they want to do. They're not responsible for the actions of other people. They're not responsible for the consequences of their own words and actions. But if you're on the right or you're conservative, you are completely responsible for anything that they can remotely connect to your words. What I'm saying is there's got to be a standard. You know, grown-ass naked, grown-ass men should now show their naked junk to the kids. We, we should all agree. As a society, that, is, that should be a standard. That's it. You can walk around with a rainbow flag and showing you're proud of your sexuality or proud of being gay or lesbian, but that has nothing to do with people walking around naked and then, you know, showing their junk and twerking in front of children. That just absolutely ridiculous. Where happened to... A standard. There's got to be some kind of standard. So there was a news article, I believe, whether you sent it to me or somebody else did. This is June 23rd, 2023. Nation's first elected transgender state representative arrested on child porn charges. Okay. This is a state representative in New Hampshire. Is nation's first transgender identifying state lawmaker was arrested by police this week to charge for allegedly dis distributing child pornography. So what what's walking on the streets, that's pornography. That's live adult pornography. That should be stopped. You know, you can allow freedom of speech, but there's got to be some kind of line draw here that we're not impacting our kids to make, think, make them think this is okay to walk around like this. Who's going to stop it? I mean, when you have Democrat governors and Democrat mayors and, you know, all the Democrat politicians, anyone that would speak out anything against anything negative about pride, you're homophobic, you're a bigot, you're a far right wing extremist. I mean, there's a, a, a pretty influential group of gay lesbian people who are opposing this gays against groomers on Twitter, and they're called far right wing extremists. There's nothing right-wing about these people. I think it's going to take parents in general because when we when Pittsburgh first started the Pride Parade, I don't think too many family would bring their children to go see it, right? And it wasn't even like this. I mean, this is quite crazy. But the problem is as this gender identity movement kept going, it went from that now to adult pornography on the street and parents taking their kids to go see it. I mean, I cannot imagine. If I see that, I'll be like, we got to go. Like, you know what I mean? If I'm at a pride parade, I see a grown-ass man twerking down the street or naked men riding the bicycle. See, I don't even want to see it. I, I, I need to say, well, we're going to go. Let's go. This is beyond supporting the LGBTQ well, community. Yeah, so that's where people go with the indoctrination. They can't comprehend how any parent would see it okay to expose their children to something like that. No, I mean, even if you go there good-natured thinking, okay, we're going to, you know, stand up for the oppressed and we're going to show our support, as soon as the guy with his penis hanging out walks up to your children, you would think parents would be covering their kids' eyes and saying, let's get out of here. Yep. This isn't what we wanted our kids to see. But this they don't. They just, they're just they just there. Their kids are just looking at this like, what? Yeah, So, know. you know. And and so if there are parents out there who are okay doing that to their own children, and these parents have influence over the schools and things, that's what makes other parents uncomfortable. Right. I mean, right now in Maryland, Muslims and Christians are standing side by side opposing the school board. The school board changed their rules. So when they expose their kids, when they teach the kids these uh Enhan or what are they or whatever they call it, comprehensive sex ed mm -hmm. that includes the whole gender ideology stuff in certain book reads. They used to inform parents so parents could say, Hey, we want our kids to opt out. They now said they're not gonna allow that to happen. Okay, the movement is on to say that any parent who doesn't affirm this stuff and agree with this stuff is a homophobe and a racist, and, you know, they, they shouldn't have that kind of control over their kids. That's what the attitude is. So, the you know, the Muslims came forth with Christians, and they're protesting this. And there was a, do you know the name Kristen Mink? Mm -mm. Okay, so Kristen Mink is a... 
um, council member in Montgomery, Maryland. I don't know if she's on county or city council, but she is seen addressing city council, and she makes a statement that, um, unfortunately, the Muslim, uh, some family, some Muslim families are aligned with white supremacists on this issue. They don't agree. So she was actually trying to say they don't agree with white. They're not white supremacists. They don't agree with white supremacists, but they just happen to align with them on this issue. And, you know, so the parents didn't appreciate that. They didn't appreciate being spoken in the same breath with white supremacists. But this is why. And, oh, there's another one of the parents who spoke to the school board was very careful to say, look, we're not white supremacists. We're not right wing. You know, we don't we don't care what people do. We just want to have the option to opt our kids out of this. So that just, to me shows how successful and effective these slander tactics are. I mean, branding someone white supremacist and Racist and far right extremists is like radioactive. Those people then become radioactive. You don't listen to anything they say. You don't associate with them. You can't get anywhere near them because it then reflects on you. It then makes you look bad. That's why they're doing it. It's a tactic. How is it that the parents not wanting their children to read these adult pornography books basically have graphic content become white supremacist? So Be- how? Because it works. Because that's what the left wing Marxist the label- tactic. You you talk label- about it all the time in China. Yeah, that's they why they work. do it. But they're, 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 the troubling thing is how many people believe it? How many people follow it? And the reason, the main reason for that is the media goes along with it. Well, yesterday I had a talk with um, Heather. She's Moms for Liberty from Washington County, and we were talking about how difficult it is for them now because they were being labeled as a hate group and she said being that she's running for school board now they're labeling her as book banners so because this label no one wants to talk to her she said all she heard is are you that lady that wants to ban books but they don't want to talk about what type of books she's banning as a matter of fact she's going to come on our show she's She's in Philadelphia now for a four-day conference with Moms for Liberty. And when she comes back, I'm really looking forward to that interview because they're going to talk about national strategy, how Moms for Liberty going to come back this. But I said, well, bring some books. She's going to bring some books onto our show and read it to the audience that what kind of books she's talking about she wanted to be out of school. And I'm sure if people listen to these books... I would imagine 70 to 80% of people, moms, will agree that these books do not belong to the libraries where, you know, elementary school, middle school, or even high school should, should be doing. And so, you know, it is very difficult to see our society, the moral standard has, it's been deteriorating, right? Um the more standard that we grew up in, the rights and wrongs, the lines are so blurry now. And no wonder some of the young people you talk to, they choose not to have children. You know, the, the, the 20, 30-year-olds, even though they might be more progressive in their thinking, but there's still this universal standard that everybody, maybe in our DNA inherently, they say, well, it's too difficult to raise a child in this new world so some of them choose not to have kids because how you know this is kind of things you have to come back every day you know, not only from our social media is from you know our news agencies um it's from now the school is affirming certain things that we know is not right but the teacher is telling our children it, it started from the common core math the way to do mathematics till now to say, yeah, you know, you, 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 you weren't born a gender. You can decide it later on your own. I mean, it's just getting more and more ridiculous every day. Well, the SPLC issued a hunting license against moms for Liberty. 
And I'll explain what I mean by that. So the SPLC, far-left group, categorized them as anti-government. You know, they didn't call them white supremacists, but they kind of implied they aligned with that. Then this week, um, Moms for Liberty chapter leader launched their newsletter online, and they attached to it a Hitler quote. And the Hitler quote is, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. Now, the SPLC did an in-depth look at Moms for Liberty, so they know what they stand for, what they're about. They don't necessarily characterize it fairly, but they know. So this Hitler quote went on Twitter, people saying, look, they love Hitler, they're promoting Hitler, when anyone that does about 30 seconds of due diligence knows that that quote was not an endorsement. Right. That quote was a criticism of their opposition. Right. They're saying this is what we are against. We are against government indoctrinating our children because that's what Hitler was doing. That's right. what that quote meant. Right. And anyone that spent a little bit of time looking at what Moms for Liberty is about, what their claims are, would know that. Right. But, so you have the local newspaper, an indie star, small local newspaper. They see this, and they run a story on it. Mm -hmm. uh, they ran the story after the Moms for Liberty issued the apology and said, hey, we're sorry we posted a Hitler quote. We shouldn't have done that. But the story didn't explain that Moms for Liberty was using that as a criticism of what they're against, not right. what they're for. It didn't say that whatsoever. So you're working for this small newspaper. SPLC issued this report. It's national. It's a hunting license. So you know you can get attention for your newspaper by getting out there with this story first. Because if you get it out there, then the larger newspapers are going to reprint it. They're going to cite it. They're going to copy it. So you make money. You get exposure. But you have to assess the risk of something like this. Right. And, but be, again, because of the way the left works and because of this SPLC letter, they knew the risk was low. They didn't have to give Moms for Liberty the benefit of the doubt. They yeah. didn't have to explain their side. How many of the mainstream newspapers to talk about the documents thing doesn't say, but Joe's is different because. That's what they always do. Biden's right. is different because. Right. Well, if they were fair and they did fair journalism, they would have explained it was clearly not an endorsement, but they didn't do that. So then NBC picks it up and all the major large newspapers, and they all run with this story. And again, there's no risk because when NBC picks it up, they say, well, we're just citing this other newspaper and they quote right. it and they reprint it. So you have this movement and none of these uh, journalistic, multi-million, billion-dollar voices are correcting the record. Not one of them are saying, but the people on Twitter are taking it the wrong way. If the situation had been reversed and right-wingers were doing that about a left-wing group, you know they would have done that. Right. So they just let they just let Moms for Liberty hang out there in the in the wind and yep. let them take all the heat, and nobody steps up and says. Let's just be fair about this. We know that they're well, against no. government indoctrination, so this was not an endorsement of Hitler. No, they, they just not. let it lay out there and let people get the wrong impression. Yeah, and these are the same people. Careful. And this is what I said before: people on the left will look at anything we say or do, and if there's any slight negative consequences, the result of our words or actions, we are directly responsible and we need to stop saying what we're saying and we need to stop doing what we're doing. Here they are. They did this to Moms for Liberty. They misled people. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's totally unjustified. It's totally misleading, but they're not responsible. Right. They don't hold themselves responsible. They don't care. It's Moms for Liberty's fault. You know, it's like walking on eggshells all the time. And this is what happened in the Chinese Cultural Revolution. I mean, we are in a cultural revolution. People are getting canceled. Interestingly, though, uh, Bill Maher has been on TV saying all kinds of stuff that's, you know, <laughs> it, it's funny because he's a Democrat, but he's not being labeled as a white supremacist or a racist. But there's a lot of things he says now that is very much in tune with I, I would say, conservative would say. Now, how long are these gonna, people going to be allowed to be on air? I think it all depending on the 2024 election and, you know, who's going to take over the White House and the DOJ 
and what kind of people they're going to go after, you know? So, um, it's, it's, it's to me coming from, and I'm sure to a lot of the people from, um, countries that has had this experience where there's a culture war, people see the dangers in this. And because it took China about 50 years to come back from the country, cultural revolution, um, to come back from that. And then, you know, and also, if you look at it, the Democrats losing the Latino vote, losing the Muslim vote, they're losing the Asian vote. More people are, more religious people and more people from other countries are more, more and more leaving. As a matter of fact, there's 60% of the vote, registered voters, supposedly, and I didn't, I didn't look into this, are registered independent voters because they don't identify with either side of the, I guess, politics, or they just don't want to belong to any party because you don't know when you're going to get canceled. So it is a, it is a very, very sad um, phenomenon we're witnessing. When I saw that video... I just thought to myself, oh my God, you know, that's one out of many examples what's out there. And parents are endorsing it. They're not taking their kids, drag their kids away from it, say, we're going to go. But maybe those parents are afraid to be called homophobic, you know, not wanting their kids to see this naked, fat, white dude twerking. Now all of a sudden they'll be afraid, oh, we don't want to look homophobic, so we're going to have to stay here. You know, the Moms for Liberty thing to me is like a David and Goliath story. You have to understand your enemy. You have to understand what these people are trying to do and how they operate. Moms for Liberty is a true grassroots organization. They don't maintain tight control over the messaging and, and things of the local chapters. They, what I would call, empower them. So I think that the main Moms for Liberty, if there is one, they share information. They provide resources to help recruit and train candidates and things like that. But they don't tightly control them. They don't have they don't give them talking points. They don't necessarily mm -hmm. say, you know, you can't post a newsletter without it being reviewed by our legal team and our this and our that. So they're just true, you know, grassroots. Someone who's a little more savvy in marketing and PR and understanding this political situation would have known you don't quote Hitler, okay? Right. If you're a left-wing group, you can quote Hitler. But if you're a right-wing group, you cannot quote Hitler. Don't even right. say anything about Hitler on your webpage. Right. But it happened because they're sort of empowering these local chapter moms. So they're just moms. You know, this it's like... Big activism, you know, some big multi-billion dollar activism is on the left. Right. And Moms for Liberty is just a little grassroots organization. And, you know, now they've got the attention. But apparently the left is afraid of them. Right. Okay. Why are they afraid of them? Are they afraid of them because they're getting a lot of support? Are they afraid of them because they realize that they're right, that they have valid points, that their message is going to resonate? So for some reason, this little Moms for Liberty is seen as a threat by these huge left wing. Now, you know, when I talk about big activism, you know, you, you, I think it's called the Human Rights Coalition. You know, this equal yellow equal sign with the blue square. Mm -hmm. That group, if you go to the Pennsylvania Department of Education, they're cited for all the DEI stuff. Vivek Ramaswamy was CEO of a company, and in the aftermath of the George Floyd protest, they received letters from a marketing firm that was being paid by this group to basically get them on message with the DEI. So people are, think they're watching on TV are black people outraged, but there's this whole machine behind it, including the Democrat Party. I, I still say that those protests wouldn't have been half of what they were if a, a Democrat had been in the White House. It's this large, coordinated effort to get corporate uh, America behind this agenda, and they've largely succeeded. That's where you know we regular Americans look at it, and go, "Oh, everybody's gone woke." Well, it was this coordinated effort. The same with the school board, our local school board. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the uh, 
superintendent tell the story about this, you know, organic, spontaneous alumni letter and they came in and they challenged us and they did this and it's not political. I was at the one town hall about the gowns where they said this was not political. It was absolutely political. That same letter was going out all over social media. It was multiple local school districts. People that I know were involved saw the same letter. It was a form letter. They may have tweaked it a little bit, but this was a political operation. You know, this was not a spontaneous grassroots effort for the, to get the schools on all this DEI stuff. This was orchestrated by big activism. So this is what Moms for Liberty is going up against. Well, I mean, you know, there's they're David going up against Goliath. Well, this is big activism. If you think of the timing of this, when the LPLC named Moms for Liberty for as a hate group, it's right before... This year, we have all the local elections, a lot of school board elections. So now, anyone who's endorsed, supported by Moms of Liberty, are going to have a uphill battle to fight these labeling, right? So this is because Moms of Liberty successfully put a lot of school board members, put a lot of people on school board in the past two years. So now they say, well, how do we stop this group, Moms of Liberty, which is... There's Republican, Democrat, Independent. There's white. It's you know, it's across all racial, across all religion. People are supporting it. How do we stop Moms for Liberty from putting more people on school board? That's going to kill our agenda. This is the way they're doing it by labeling them a hate group. So the timing is perfect, um, as far as it's not coincidental because we have the school board race in November and 2024 presidential race. Four of the uh, presidential candidates are going to Philadelphia to speak at the Moms for Liberty conferences, right? So anybody who goes to speak at Moms for Liberty conferences is going to say, hey, you're going to speak at a hate group. You're endorsing a hate group. So this is no coincidence. It is, it is a fight to, you know, it's, it's a very bloody fight. And, you know, again, um, the right are not good at labeling or the media is not pushing it. It's, I think you're good at labeling, but, you know, I, I often say stop, keep talk, telling people these other people are socialists, don't vote for them. Socialist is not such a negative word um, anymore. So stop talking, telling people. Right. And now... They're trying to change the word pedophile to minor attracted person. So the left is very good at softening their language where the right was called a pedophile. Pretty soon, if you call somebody pedophile, you're going to be called not politically correct. So the war started from being PC to now, you know, the right is losing this culture war. Um, there's a reason for it. So I think, you know, you got to point out hard evidence, but at the same time, when I start seeing parents allowing their children to see what's going on, do we still have hope that a lot of these young parents know what's wrong, what's right? Allow for some fringe, but if you talk the the most influential, biggest media, and they just reported everything fairly, right? you know, as if... This is what Moms for Liberty claims to stand for. This is what they base that on. This is what they're saying. This is what their critics are saying. And just present the information like that to the American people would be a completely different story. That would force the left to have to, to stand on their issue, only advance their issues on merit. But they can't do that. Everybody, you know, it's the evil enemy, and, you know, they have to call you a bigot. They have to call you. They have to silence you, and they have to make people afraid to even consider the things that you are saying. So not only is Moms for Liberty evil, but if you do anything, Moms for Liberty is a pro-parents' rights. They want parents to have the ability to protect their children from certain ideas and belief systems that are ideology. Well, that's called anti-LGBT policy. You're right. literally killing trans kids. That's what they're saying. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, it's absurd, but the media will go with that. How do you think Ron 
DeSantis's parents' rights bill became called the Don't Say Gay bill right. because of the media. Right. Okay, if the you know media would report it honestly, say, well, you know, the Democrats are calling it "Don't Say Gay." It's actually called this, and you know, but no, they just run with the rhetoric, and it becomes so powerful that even Republicans adapt that language. Even Republicans start referring to it as the "Don't Say Gay" bill because the voters no longer do their own research as much as many information as ha we have these days to look into different things that the media trying to present. As much information out there, you can quickly and easily debunk what you hear on television. People are not willing to do the work. Well, in the past, they didn't have to. You know, before the Internet, before the country became so politicized and before this left-wing Marxism became so powerfully entrenched, you know, it started in higher education, which brought it into journalism, which brought it into schools. I mean, before all that, you know, there could be a they would we would use the word liberal bias. OK, that meant you got basically the facts with a little bit of bias towards right. the left wing side. That's what you got. Most people. So you knew what you were getting. You could choose to agree with that bias or think on your own. But at least you were getting decent information for the most part. Right. And that's all gone. It's no longer liberal bias. It's it's endorsement. It's like state propaganda media for the left right and again um, i say it you know the money is there for sure they're safe i mean this stuff is so politically powerful now that you know you have you know pro-life protester father getting arrested by the fbi so this is you know they're weaponizing the fbi and by the way up until now all these claims about weaponizing the justice department and the claims against you know hunter and the fact that joe's tied in with china the main the main re response to that counter by democrats and far left people has been you know they've been saying this for five years and they haven't proven anything well it had to go down to actually getting a transcript from WhatsApp, and now even the mainstream media is reporting it. NBC Meet the Press, Chuck Todd, had a segment on it this past Sunday. So that's how bad it has to get. It has to get that blatant and that explicit where, to where the media just can't deny it anymore. Right. Where if it, if it has to do with a, a Republican, like a Trump, they'll run for three years on a Trump-Russia collusion that has no basis behind it. Right. It, it, because no, why? Because it's safe. Right. It is safe. You know? Yeah. A anybody that spoke out again, uh, it's like the Ukraine war. Anyone that questions the Ukraine war loves Putin. And they use that language to make you afraid to say, to question it. Which, right. by the way, we've issued another half a billion dollars, and we're up to $22 billion in aid to Ukraine. I thought it was $9 billion, so. That's, I heard on the radio the other day it's 22 Okay. Well, geez. <laughs> Woohoo. Good for us. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Sorry, I mean, I'm a little wound up today. <laughs> no, that's good that you wound up. That's, that's well, actually really good. I, you know, this Moms for Liberty thing really irks me. It really does because I I know several of these women. We know them, and you know they they are truly just regular moms. These are not political activists. These are not trained Marxists like the you know Black Lives Matter admitted to be. These are just regular moms that were living their lives, and then during COVID, they look online learning, and they say, what's this? Right. What are our kids being taught? And then the whole thing blew wide open. I want to move on from Moms for Liberty. There was um, just a recent development, actually. You, we have a Democratic governor in Pennsylvania. Interesting, he's pushing now um, voucher for school choice. And it's called Lifeline Scholarship Program. It just came out, and that will allow kids to get out of failing school district to go to a better district. Now, interesting, this is a Democratic governor pushing a um, something that the Republican has wanted to push for years. And I'm pretty sure this is going to happen. He's going to sign a bill. Of course, he's receiving a lot of criticism from the other side, from his own party, but then I was talking to someone, they said, actually, this is not really a good thing 
because that means the state can dictate what private school or Catholic school can teach. So that is something, I just want to put it out there. I didn't do detailed research on it, but I just kind of want to put it out there so people can look into it. Yeah, devil's in the details for sure. Devil's in the details, yes. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the reason the private schools are worth anything is because they don't have state influence. So we have to right. be careful. Um, you know, it, I think it depends on whose money is it, you know, is, is it up to the parents to it's decide? Up to the parents, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't hear that. I'm 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 pleasantly surprised to hear that. Yeah, it's, I wonder why he is doing it. Well, one of the things they said this is because they can dictate what you know. Well, I believe every child of God deserves a shot here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One of the best ways to guarantee their success is to make sure every child has a quality of education. So, one of the you know, appealing things to the left about this is the fact that if you look at the demographics, lower income, disproportionately black families, the schools mm -hmm. are not up to the par of, you know, the white neighborhoods. So right. that's that's one of the, you know, things that goes right to the Democrat Party platform. Right. So um, so we'll see what this how this is going to all turn out to be. Just a little cursory look at finances within the schools. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I got into a little uh, issue in the community group because I announced the tax increase that Shaler School Board approved. Right. Now, only two of the school board members were engaging on this, you know, in this group. And I appreciate them doing that. I can't say that this applies to all, but my sense from this is that there's really not much due diligence going on between a school board and administration when it comes to finance. Right. Unless the school board members have some background in business dealing with financing and budgets and things like that, they're really not equipped to oversee the admin. So they seem to largely take what admin says and run with that. Um, so, but one thing that becomes apparent from all of that is if you're anywhere, you run a small business, right? right? So if, if you have a reduction in income or you have some increase in expenses, you know, so you're a little bit profitable, but then all of a sudden that math changes and you're going to start losing money. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You cut back. So you you first thing you do is cut expenses. You got to stop the bleeding. Expenses, yes. Yeah, stop the bleeding first, right. and then you have to look at how can I get more revenue? How can I now? A lot of times it it costs money. So if you say, "Well, I'm going to advertise," well, we're barely getting by now. Where do I get money to advertise? So you somehow you've got to work to earn more money coming in. Well, if right. you're a school, then if you, you go to your board and you say, hey, approve a tax increase. We need more money. I mean, if you did that as a uh, board of directors over a company, they're going to say, let us see that. We need to see all your expenses, and we need to see your plan for how you're going to restore yourself to profitability, assuming you don't get any more money, either through sales or through investment. So they want to see that. What are you going to cut? What are you going to reduce? None of that that I can tell happens. And I've reached out to other people in other school districts. It doesn't seem like it happened. So there's some basic financial knowledge lacking on on these school boards. But what I can tell you, so, so okay, I lost you my point in going that long way around the barn is to say if more parents start taking their kids to a charter school, voucher school, that money is collected by the local school district. They then have to give the money out to the other school. When they say this is going to destroy the local school district, it's going to challenge the local school district, especially if they do not already have a mindset of looking at expenses and how they can adjust to operate with the money that they have. You can't just say it's we're spending $90 million to operate, and then if 20% of our kids get peeled off to go to another school, we still need $90 million. No, you've got to have, you've got to come up with a way where you can right-size yourself 
to the students that you have. And if you don't want to lose those students, then maybe you find out why the parents are taking them out. But in government, there's this entitlement mentality. You can never cut back. You know, you can never furlough teachers or employees or anything like that. Like, everything's treated like an absolute necessity. So the instinct of the school boards, the only thing that they know or of the school admin is to go to the school board and say, we need to do a 25% tax increase to cover our 20% loss of students. School vouchers are a definite threat to that way of doing business, but that's partially what they're intended to be, is to force you, you know? It's like Shaler's budget is like $94 million. The tax increase is going to generate just under $2 million. Now, you cannot tell me, and I heard one argument back that if we don't get this tax increase, we got to shut the school down. A ninety-four million dollars of revenue. If you if you have a two million dollar shortfall to cover your expenses, you got to shut the doors. You can't operate whatsoever. I mean, if that's the mindset, you don't you you've got the wrong people handling your finances and making those decisions. No ninety million dollar operation shuts down with a two million dollar loss. You adjust. You adjust. Exactly. You stop building um, new stadiums and building, stop building new baseball fields and or LaCroixville that, that you don't really need. Last week, you did a shorts on our social media. It's talking about the holiday of Juneteenth yep. and where it came from. And it's a special holiday that's celebrated by the Republicans. Well, and it's immensely. It should be celebrated food. more by Republicans. It should be celebrated, right. It seems like more of the Democrats celebrate, Republicans don't say anything. To me, it's like 4th of July, part two. You know, it's about freedom. Come on. And and it was all done by the the Republican Party and a Republican president. So, Yeah. And, And one of the things I started looking into it, because, you know, we talked about critical race theory. Slavery is a stain for this country. And so I started looking to, into history of slavery, not only for this country, but the world. Well, it turned out slavery is not only stained for the United States, it is a stain on the world. Because prehistorical times, slavery started from the Egyptian days. Slavery started in the Middle Eastern area. So not really. Now, I don't even know if you area. can pinpoint when it started. Um, it probably predates all that. Predate, yeah. So it just. You know, whoever yeah, conquers it's part a of the plunder. So, to, you know, you go to war with somebody for whatever yeah. reason. I need a place to stay. We're, you know, we're having a famine where we live. We're going to go take their land. We're going to go to war against them. When you win, you take everything. You plunder. You take their women, yeah. their kids. You know, you enslave people. One of the interesting findings, which I post on our social media, is one of the one of the. I'm not sure he's the first one, but one of the very first initial group of slave owners. One of the guy named is Anthony Johnson. He is a black man from Angola, and interesting, very first slavery ship arrived United States from Portugal. It's also from Angola. Um. Anthony Johnson owned five slaves. Out of five slaves, four of them are white. Well, that that story is actually. Pr- so, I, I mean, I love history. It's like it's like watching a movie, but it's real. So it, nothing irritates me yeah. more than people that that falsify history. And there's a lot of that happening now. But so yeah, Portugal had a colony in Angola. And they were they were having a war. They were fighting, yes. and they also had a colony in like Mexico, Central America area. That's why today Brazil still speaks mm-hmm. Portuguese. It was the Spanish, the Portuguese, and the British were the world powers. So they captured. When you captured prisoners of war, they enslaved them. So they were bringing them to the Americas. And at the time, the British had they. they I think they were privately owned. They were privateers, I think they call them. They're kind of like pirates, right? So, But they would not uh, attack yeah. a British ship, but because the Brits and the you know, Portuguese were at odds, they would – so they basically captured the Portuguese ship. They took the slaves, and that's how they ended up in, 
Virginia because that was a British colony. So they brought them in and they needed food. You know, they just sailed across the uh, the ocean. So they said, hey, we'll trade you, you slaves for food. And that was sort of the beginning of slavery. Yeah. So if you go, if you go on Wikipedia and there's a whole chapter on slavery, it breaks down the era, the countries and everything. So if we're going to really teach history and the fact, let's teach that, right? So actually slavery is part of the African culture. Um if you owe somebody money, you can turn into their slave to pay a debt. If you, uh, like a prisoner, you can turn to slavery to do hard labor. But the people that's against slavery, now this is on uh, a website called worldpopulationreview.com. And turn out, to, in today's world, if we are that much against slavery, we're fighting for equality. I would suggest the activists go to, there's 167 countries in the world today still have slavery. It's modern day slavery. And here are the top 10 countries that have slavery. India, 7.9 million people are being enslaved. China is number two. North Korea is number three. Nigeria, number four. Iran is number five. Indonesia, Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Russia, Philippines, and Afghanistan. These are the top 10 countries that have slaves. Now, the only white country I can see in this whole equation will be Russia. Every, well, every, all the top 10 countries, nine out of the top 10 countries that still have slavery today are not a country of a white race. Well, I mean, I wouldn't try to pretend slavery is a non-issue but what what certainly no i'm saying slavery is an issue well, and it's but, still happening today so the people that are screaming about racism equality what they need to do is protest the 167 countries in the world today mm -hmm. still have slavery and guess what country that they have no law doesn't have a legal slavery system is North America, right? United States, right. Canada, and Europe. Well, the idea well, that white Europe, people, so. white men, white Europeans are inherently evil is racism. Okay, that's but that's part of the narrative that causes people then to go, well, wait a minute, the slavery is not what you're making it out to be, and you know the 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 statement that. The United States was built as a white supremacy. Like the intent behind the United States was white supremacy so white people could dominate black. That's all false. I mean, that's part of that 1619 project. But accurate history shows right. the things that you talked about. And But at some point in American history, the racism element entered into it. So slavery was just people you conquered and took over and, you know, um, that sort of thing. But, and in fact, this gentleman Johnson, I believe, by the time he passed his inheritance on to his kids, they were not allowed to take it because slavery had become this racial thing, meaning all black people are viewed as, you know, subhuman, less than white people, not deserving. So all of his property then was not allowed to go to his heirs because they were black. And, you know, so that's what it devolved mm -hmm. into. But you can, we can analyze a lot of the reasons behind that. Well, you know, part of the reason is there's a we have a certain conscience, God-given conscience. And one of the typical um, accepted universals is it's wrong to kill people. So on a corporate en masse, it's wrong to kill people. But if you feel wronged enough personally, then... People will kill other people. That's what happened with Cain and Abel. You felt personally slighted. So, you know, if you're enslaving people and you're treating them in this way and, you know, forcing them the way, it's a horrible thing to witness even back then. In order for them to keep this going, which, by the way, had financial interests now. So you're you're threatening significant right. wealth by powerful people. The most some of the most wealthy, powerful people in this country are the plantation owners. So now you're threatening people's money 
And people will do a lot to protect their money. So you start then to look at these people and go, well, you know what? They're not really people. They're not really like us. You know, the, look at the way they act. Look at the, how they are. You know, we're, we're actually kind of doing them a favor. I mean, it, there were people that made that argument. And then they turn to the Bible and they say, look, in the Bible, it talks about slavery. And, you know, so it, was a, it had to be a conscious effort to overcome what deep down inside everybody knew was wrong. But it was also white people. And the principles of the founding in this country that overthrew it. They had to fight against it. And the more the, the abolition movement gained traction, the more effectively they fought against it, the worse the racism got by the people trying to defend it. So that was an internal battle. And, and I wasn't just I wasn't well, being I'm, flippant well, with my celebration of Juneteenth as a Republican holiday. It is. It should be. And I think if, if Republicans would take an honest look, all Americans, let's take an honest look at slavery and say that was, yeah, absolutely, that was a horrible thing. And by the way, Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom, just like July 4th. You know, we finally lived up to our founding documents with that. Was, was racism ended? Of course not. I mean, was all that horrible treatment of black? No, it was just, I mean, it was sort of the beginning of all that. There's still a lot to go through. But, you know, to make that, I mean, it was white troops commanded by the federal government, by Abraham Lincoln, a Republican president, who went into Galveston to force Texas to abide by the Emancipation Proclamation. And that was Juneteenth. That's what happened on Juneteenth. That's why you have to teach history, not well, yeah. critical race theory. A critical because race theory is not history. It it look, uses its part of what it if, is. It no. bends it and twists it to its narrative. But if we will teach honest history, racism will reduce in this country. Right. If you will say, I just shared an article on our Facebook. is from the yep. World Economic Forum. It says 94 countries in the world, slavery is still legal. And none of them were countries except for Russia that is predominantly white race. So what does that tell you? So you can't say black people are oppressed, white people are the oppressor. Now, if that's the case, why is it the top country in the world that have slavery is India, 7.9 million people. India is predominantly mm -hmm. India people. They're not white, but slavery is part of the economic makeup of the Indian economy. Out of 1.4 billion people in the country, 7.9 million are slaves, and they get paid very little. And if you go, if you talk to somebody that's been doing business in India, they can tell you, right, they go build a bowling alley in a very rich man's house. You can go on the street, pick up a worker for 10 American cents a day. And that's how poverty, so essentially the, the, um, the difference between super wealthy and the super poor, dry slavery. If you have a, a economic makeup like India, you have the super, super rich people, you have the very, very poor people, and you have very little middle class, that drives slavery. All right, well, have a wonderful one. And um, I'm looking forward to interview Moms for Liberty when they come back from Philadelphia. Yeah.